Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Corb Matosic from Asserta Health. Corb, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. A real pleasure to be here. As you know, you know we, we've talked about this in the past. You know, we, we really have a, a broken healthcare system here, and, and that's really the inspiration for this show. What we're looking to do here is educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. And so our interest is in helping employers, CFOs, HR directors, and benefit managers who are, are ready for better results and are, are ready to take action. Sound good? Absolutely. To get us started here, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and uh, Asserta Health to give our audience a little bit of context, and then we'll jump into it. Korb Matosic is the co-founder and president of Asserta Health. Korb has an unusual depth of experience on all sides of healthcare payment. He oversaw both revenue cycle management and payment integrity businesses at Ingenix, which is now Optum, at United Health Group. And he served as CEO of AAPC, an organization that certifies billers and coders. He believes that in order to fix healthcare, we must fix how we pay for healthcare. And so Asserta Health makes it possible for consumers to understand and pay the full bill when they receive care, even when all or part of the funds come from their employer or health plan. Asserta provides a better way to pay for healthcare, and it's better for all parties to the transaction. All right, Corb, let's start off by talking a little bit about your background because. Compared to some of the other folks that we've interviewed on this podcast, you really have a unique healthcare perspective because you've worked for the provider community for a long time. So do you want to just start by telling us how you actually got started in the industry? And and if you don't mind, spend a little time explaining to the audience here what revenue cycle management is and why it's necessary in the current payment system. Happy to do that. So the story about how I got into the industry is, is actually kind of funny. After college, I got married and moved my family around a, a bit working in technology and software and then uh, went back to school to get my MBA. And, and one day my wife asked me a simple question that really changed the whole trajectory of my career. She said, are you ever going to do something important? Because um, I'd worked in in, in software and, and new media. So it kind of stung a little bit and got me thinking about a different area of focus and, and you know, what's more important than healthcare. And so right. ever since then, I've been working in healthcare ever, ever since I got out of graduate school. And, and I began my healthcare career with Ingenix, which, as you mentioned, is now known as Optin, running the revenue cycle management businesses. From there, I've held multiple general management roles running businesses in all sides of healthcare payment. But uh, to answer your question about revenue cycle management, it's the complex business process. Providers invest as much as 30% of their revenue to ensure that they are paid appropriately. Basically, they are required to invest a lot of time and effort to make sure that they're paid appropriately by insurance companies and, and consumers according to contractual parameters. And it involves medical coding, billing, as well as all the follow-up with payers when claims are misplaced or, or processed incorrectly. It also includes collections and bad debt follow-up with consumers. And talking about a broken system, I mean, this is really just a Band-Aid on top of a convoluted broken payment approach. And as I mentioned previously, it devours as much as 30% of a provider's revenue. That's incredible. So a provider has to spend 30% on the staff in his office to 
his or her office to do the billing, but also probably third parties to come in and, and do a lot of work around making sure they're getting paid, taking people to collections, that sort of thing. Exactly. We recently had you do a webinar for some of our team members, and you started off the webinar saying you can't fix healthcare without fixing healthcare payment. So tell us, in your opinion, what's wrong with healthcare in general and why the current healthcare payment system is so problematic? Sure. Well, obviously, I mean, healthcare is incredibly complex, so there are many issues contributing to what's wrong with healthcare. We believe that one of the most fundamental issues is how we pay for healthcare. Our current system is dominated by what's known as third-party reimbursement, or in other words, payment by a third party well after the delivery of services. It's impossible to have a market-driven system under a third-party reimbursement model. Uh, Prices are not set by market forces, but rather they're derived after the fact by intricate uh, back office functions of both providers and payers. You know, consumers have no visibility to how much services actually cost. And even when they do understand the cost, they generally don't have incentives that lead them to make value-based decisions. So the lack of a powerful active consumer means that healthcare costs continue to climb year after year, much faster than the rest of the economy. And so, again, we believe one of the most fundamental issues is how healthcare is paid for because it completely prohibits an active consumer in healthcare. I agree with that statement. I want to dive a little bit deeper into it. You're talking about third-party reimbursement. So let's translate that into you know terms that you know our, our audience is going to be familiar with. So third-party reimbursement is reimbursement by an insurance carrier, correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And so that can be in the form of fee-for-service reimbursement or capitated reimbursement as well? Yeah, all of those would qualify as third-party reimbursement because the consumer, the directly involved party, is not making the principal payment for the service. You know, when I think of the traditional third-party reimbursement model, I think of provider networks. I think of a PPO provider network or an HMO provider network. And when I say that, I generally refer to that as the network model. Do you think the network model, which we've all been told is a really good thing. Do you think that network model actually contributes to rising healthcare costs? Yeah, in my opinion, with without a question, it's one of the big drivers of ever increasing healthcare costs. And the reason why I believe that's true is that the network model allows both payers and providers to claim active efforts at controlling costs. I mean, candidly, it's really a red herring because they focus the discussion on dis. Right. So there's a lot of discussion about, you know, through our network, you can get a 50% discount or a 60% discount. The problem is no one is asking the critical question of a discount off of what? Um, <laughs> I mean, think about going to buy a car and they say, we're going to give you a 50% discount. I don't think there's a consumer out there that would say, oh, well, fantastic. Then I'm in. They want to know the actual price. And right. yet networks are set up to focus on discounts. And, and in fact, they make active efforts to obscure the actual price. And so, you know, what we really need to be spending our time talking about is not relative discounts, but rather specific costs and price points, which networks try and obscure. And so, yes, I I think networks are one of the leading contributors to why healthcare is so expensive. Agree wholeheartedly. And I think that's one of the, the biggest problems for the market right now, because I don't think a lot of employers realize that. I think for the most part, you know, we've been trained to believe that if you buy through a network, you're going to get the best deal. And if I stay within my network, I should be getting the best deal. But I I want to talk about a personal example, and I think it'll lead us right into kind of what you guys do. But I'm on a high deductible health plan, and uh, I needed to, to go see a dermatologist. 
you know, simple thing. I had a mole I wanted to get removed. So one, finding a provider in the network was a pain in the butt. Uh, but I found one. And principally because the provider network search tool for this particular carrier that we're with is horrible. But next, you know, I went there, I had the procedure done, but because I have a high deductible, you know, I wanted to know what the price was for the procedure. And I asked up front, I said, Hey, what's the price going to be? And the physician looked at me like I was crazy. She just said, she's like, gosh, I got to be honest with you. No one's really asked me that before. And so I said, oh, no problem. I'm sure, you know, somebody in your office can help. And she's like, sure, let me be right back. And so she came back and she figured out what the allowed amount was for the procedures. And I just asked her a simple question. I said, hey, because I have a high deductible, I'm going to be paying for this anyways. Would you guys give me a discount if I just paid you cash today? And, you know, the billing person kind of scratched their head and said, uh, yeah, let me check. And she came back and she said, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll charge you 20% less uh, if you pay us today. <laughs> I said, no problem. Do yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so let's take that and, and move into a sort of health uh, company was launched in 2014 and you're a fairly new company. So tell us one, what motivated you to start the company and a little bit more about what the company does. Well, I started it with my partner. So, you know, I should describe my co-founder a little bit. I mean, she's a, a doctor and a nurse and has extensive experience as a medical director. And, and she met when she was my medical director in the anti-fraud unit at Ingenix. And as we already discussed, you know, we concluded you can't fix healthcare without fixing healthcare payment. And Lisa and I uh, wanted to directly address that. So we co-founded Asserta Health. We, we love a quote. Uh, from PricewaterhouseCoopers that says, the healthcare payment system is a horse and buggy in a world contemplating driverless cars. That's exactly how we see it, right? I mean, it's it's an antiquated relic that has been stagnant for, for literally decades. And it's a major barrier to transparency and innovation. We already mentioned, you know, revenue cycle management can consume, administration can consume up to 30% of healthcare costs, and it doesn't contribute to better outcomes. And so we founded Assert of Health to create a better way to help pay for healthcare that eliminates those barriers. Awesome. So, so tell us about Asserta Health and what the actual product and service is and, and how it's structured to, to help employers. Sure. So what we do is we eliminate claims and billing and save you know 20% or more on elective procedures by making payment in full at the time of service delivery with a payment platform that we call MediCash. So MediCash makes it possible for consumers to pay their full bill at the time of service delivery, even when all or part of the funds comes from their employer or health plan. And we offer a concierge service in connection with this payment platform that allows consumers to get step-by-step guidance before they receive care when they still have opportunities to make decisions that impact the outcome. I mean, all too often we hear stories about people that say, if I had any idea, I would have done something differently. By paying transparent cash prices in advance of service delivery with a you know, concierge to coach people through. People understand these sorts of, of important decision points prior to receiving services when they can still make a different choice. You mentioned you know, cash prices and at least a 20% discount. So when you say 20% discount, that's from the insurance carrier reimbursement amount? Correct. Correct. Why would a provider take less money? Yeah. Well, great question. I mean, and it's really wrapped up in, in that description of revenue cycle management. You know, claims and billing drive costs, confusion, and complexity and add zero value to clinical outcomes. And so you know, providers are trying to improve quality, but they face all these issues with bad debt and collections. And, and so running their business is a fundamental you know, issue for them. 
And so providers are willing to accept less money where they're paid immediately because they don't have to worry about billing collections or bad debt. And they don't have to spend that, you know, up to 30% of their revenue trying to collect money. And so they're willing to offer decreased price points. They also do that because of the steerage provided by our concierge service, which, you know, encourages them to take less money for the increased cash volume they're going to receive. You mentioned that the payment platform allows for funds from both the the patient or consumer as well as the employer. So explain just the the mechanics of that. And and I'll just give a simple example of myself. You know, I, I go to the doctor and I've, let's say I've already worked through your service and the bill's $10,000 $10,000 for some elective surgery. And let's just say, obviously, I have a $2,000 deductible and coinsurance. So how does that work with the platform? Our platform uses uh, ACH infrastructure. There's a simple one-time setup process that allows us to re- request funds from both as well as consumers when that's needed. And so our platform basically allows to create linkages between our platform and whatever funding account the health plan or the consumer elects to designate. Um, we can also collect funds from consumers in other ways if they if they don't want to do that. But we basically create these linkages to the accounts. We understand the price points in advance of, of the service. We understand how much the plan needs to pay, how much the consumer needs, and then request funds from both parties. And then those funds are pulled into our platform so that when the services are delivered by the provider, they are transferred then in real time to the provider. And that can be done via a mobile application that the consumer you know, can put on their phone. Um, or alternatively, we can execute those transactions from our backend system. In my case, I have a health savings account where for, for something like that, I would want the funds to come out of my health savings account. So is that how it would work? I'd be able to link my health savings account to the MediCash platform and it would pull directly from there? You could link your health savings account. And then just to be clear, when we say it's linked, it's not as if we have unfettered access to your account. Every time we request money, you receive a funding request and then you have to approve it before the money's moved. Perfect. Normally, a cash payment like this wouldn't necessarily adjudicate or coordinate with the benefit design unless, mm-hmm. you know, I were to, to print a receipt and then, you know, submit it to the TPA or carrier. How, how does it work with your system? I can see how you're facilitating the actual payment to provider, but how is it going to uh, coordinate with the benefit design? Yeah, so... Because we're providing a concierge service in connection with our payment platform, we're aware of all of the details of the procedure. So this detailed knowledge allows us to generate what we call a pseudo-claim. And we submit that pseudo-claim to the TPA so that they have a comprehensive administrative record of care, uh, which you know, can be applied to the in-network benefits. You know, the, the details of the service are completely known by the TPA and, and you know, the appropriate application to uh, co-insurance deductibles out of pocket maximum occurs. Got it. So, so really, there's no there's no work for the patient or the consumer. It's it, that's all going to happen on the back end. Correct. You mentioned you know your ability to create the pseudo claim and submit it to a TPA. Can you guys work with any third party administrator? Yeah, I mean, we really can work with any willing TPA, and I use willing you know very deliberately there. You know, our implementation process is quite simple. We've implemented multiple clients and their associated TPAs in under three weeks. So not a, a lengthy or complicated process. Um, but the, the TPA does have to be willing to accept information from us for that support. Sure. Well, I, I would imagine that uh, uh, enough pressure from the, the broker consultant or the employer would 
<laughs> would probably suffice for that. Agreed. Let's talk a little bit about what types of services that this would apply to. Are we just talking about inpatient, outpatient, or could it also extend to professional services? Yeah, so um, right now we're currently focused on relatively high-cost elective procedures, meaning planned procedures, you know, kind of anything ranging from an MRI to open-heart surgery, so, mm-hmm. you know, big range in there. But very in the very near future, we are going to expand um, to include also office visits to so professional services as well as unplanned inpatient admissions. So we're not yet doing those two product lines, but uh, we have kind of pilots that are being discussed with, with existing customers in both of those areas and, and anticipate expanding uh, shortly in, into those other service areas. For people listening out there, are there any geographic limitations to you know, where this service could be implemented? Uh, so not really. Uh, I mean, we can service customers in any market in the U.S., but there are some geographies that are more amenable to cash payment. So, you know, for example, if you're talking a rural market with only a single facility, they tend to be, you know, not great places to find a better value through cash payment because, you know, if you only have one show in town, often they just say our price is our price and under, you know, no circumstances are we going to change anything because you don't have any other choices. Right. Um, uh, if patients are willing to travel a bit, then even in those rural markets, we can help people, um, you know, if they're willing to kind of entertain alternatives. So there's no, uh, you know, prescribed definitive geographic locations. It's just some geographies are, are more amenable to cash than others. That makes sense, especially the rural providers, because we, we have a number of clients that, you know, fall into that category. For all intents and purposes, they're, they're subject to the local prices in that market with, with not a lot of options. Understand how it works. If I'm an employer looking at this, what are the the types of benefits that that I might see, or what are some typical savings? So employers typically save between twenty and fifty percent on elective procedures compared to what they've paid historically. You know, kind of network contracts, while simultaneously giving their employers a better healthcare experience. Uh, and really, that's our essential value proposition and a better consumer experience. You know, it's, we think that this is really attractive for employers who want savings, but also care a lot about, you know, what the health plan experience for their employees are. And, and, they're, and they're looking to, 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 to implement creative strategies that generate savings, but without creating a lot of, you know, angst and, and hardship for their employees. How is it a better benefit for the employee? Talk to me a little bit about that. I can certainly see it if, you know, my deductible and coinsurance is less on, you know, the cost of the, uh, the procedure, but in, in your opinion, you know, what, what makes it uh, a better benefit? Yeah. I mean, it's a better benefit, you know, obviously because it costs less and, and all of our clients share savings with their, their plan members. So it's less out of pocket for them. And, and, you know, your average health plan member is concerned, very concerned about healthcare costs. And so you reduce cost makes it a better experience. But the other component that really is helpful is the concierge service. If you need a complex medical procedure, navigating our healthcare system in a third-party reimbursement world where you get dozens of bills, you know, some from providers you can't even recognize, you know, you don't know which ones to pay, uh, when to pay them, how much you really owe. That's an incredibly bewildering experience. And if you've just had a major medical procedure, the last thing you want to do is go through piles of paperwork. Uh, And when we're paying for services in advance and offering a concierge service to, to guide people through it, all of that confusing uh, administrative, you know, kind of overhead goes out the window. Um, we clearly communicate 
the, the, the consumer or the member's financial responsibility. They understand what they owe. They understand when they need to pay it. And if there are any issues or unexpected bills or questions, they just contact the concierge service and we got them through it. And so it really is a lower cost and a better experience. One of the things you alluded to uh, a second ago was that most of your clients share savings with the employees. That's not something we've talked about. So talk to me about how that would work. I mean, and, and that's it's actually a pretty revolutionary concept, uh, you know, relative to what happens today. So expand on that if you can. Basically, most of our customers, well, I mean, all of them have implemented shared savings programs. And, and generally, the rationale is we're saving a lot of money as a plan. We want our plan members to take advantage of this new benefit. And the best way to get our plan members' attention and, and make sure that our incentives are aligned is to share a portion of the savings with our plan members. And so the most effective incentive structure that we've seen is um, plans will share a percentage of the savings, often as much as 50%, so half of the savings, with their plan members up to a cap. And the reason for the cap is at some point, you know, the incentive doesn't need to be, you know, we've saved $15,000 on a knee replacement. You don't need to, to share $7,500 with a plan member to get them to make the right decision there. You can cap it at $2,000 or $3,000, sometimes less based on plan design, and you're still going to create a powerful incentive for the desired behavior. And then the remainder of the, the savings sticks with the plan so that you're controlling costs and and ideally, you know, that your your premiums or premium contributions next year don't have to go up. Maybe they could even go down. I think that's fantastic. And, and one of the things I like about that relative to the current model is there's just not a lot of opportunity or structure in, in most benefit designs where we're rewarding people for making best value decisions. And so this, this is actually well, one of the... Well, I, just, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, one of the biggest problems that plans have is a complete disconnect between the interests of the plan and the interests of the consumer. I mean, the reason why we have deductibles and coinsurance is we're supposed to better align incentives and get consumers concerned about value. But especially once they hit their out-of-pocket ma- maximum, all thought of that just goes out the window. And, you know, kind of we shouldn't be surprised at that. You know, we've created that incentive structure. And these shared savings incentives generally apply even after plan members hit their out-of-pocket maximum. And so you're getting the consumer engaged, thinking about value across the entire spectrum of spend, not just when they're spending their own money, but you know, also when they're spending the plan's money. And that's when we really should be concerned about them making value-based decisions because they're spending other folks' you know, resources and cash. That's exactly right. And generally, you know, people are concerned when they have to spend their own money. They generally don't care if they're spending, you know, somebody else's money. So talk about how it works when there is a shared savings opportunity. You gave the example of, you know, say there's $2,000 that would go, you know, to the employee in shared savings. So if they have a health savings account, does it get deposited there or does it just get distributed to them as a taxable uh, dollar amount? Yeah, so generally, um, folks are interested in minimizing the tax, you know, kind of ramifications on a program like this. So, you know, if people have high deductible accounts with the uh, or high, high deductible plans with a, with an associated health savings account, um, it is a very common strategy to de- to deposit the shared savings as a HSA contribution because that's not taxable. In other situations, 
they're they're waiving deductibles or coinsurance, you know, as part of the shared savings because again, that's not taxable. Got it. Um, and, and so there are edge cases where you know the incentive exceeds what the the plan or excuse me, what the members out of pocket spending is has been year to date. And in that scenario, um, there could be a taxable event, but that happens you know a real minority of the time. Because this is a voluntary program, and so if I'm an employer, you know, I, I really want the maximum number of people to use this this service as possible. But it's voluntary; you can't force people to use it. So, how are you marketing this to employees to to build awareness and drive utilization? Yeah, so I mean, the right marketing strategy really depends on the the specific circumstances of each employer. I mean, every employer is different; the way they communicate with their employees is different. Um, you know, the right channels to to access them, access them varies. And, and so it's not a one size fits all um, kind of approach, but in each case, our, our customers have implemented shared savings incentives. They've made a real emphasis on communicating. Here's a concierge service to guide you through a, a complex uh, episode of healthcare. And here's the incentive that exists when you utilize the service. And so, you know, what we do is work with each employer to understand, you know, should we do you know, open enrollment's been a common uh, setting to do training, but, you know, should we uh, set up a video, a short video that explains the benefit and send that out, put it on an intranet, or, you know, do we do emails, posters, flyers, payroll inserts? You know, again, the right answer really depends on the employer, but helping the employee understand the aligned incentives is a real critical part of, of getting them to, to be excited about using the benefit. We've talked about cost. One of the things we haven't talked about is is quality when it comes to you know directing services here. And so when an employee calls in, they're engaged with the personal concierge, and that concierge assistant is helping them you know navigate and find options. They're willing to you know accept a cash payment. Are you guys just looking at cost, or is there a quality filter when selecting appropriate providers? Great question. So. Our service is all about delivering a better value. And we define value as high quality at a competitive price. And so, you know, obviously when you're talking healthcare, quality has to be a very important consideration. We use Medicare outcomes as the best quality indicator we've been able to, to kind of, you know, identify. Uh, we have a partner called Empirica. It's N-P-I-R-I-C-A, uh, Empirica.com. And they generate what they call a FICO score for healthcare quality. And they score both physicians and facilities by procedure on Medicare outcomes. And it's one of, you know, several important inputs we use to evaluate quality of providers. Because yeah, you, you can't make this just about cost. Agreed. Agreed. If I'm an employer, I'm interested in, in this for my, my plan. What's the cost uh, to sign up with Asserta Health? And is there any, you know, implementation fee associated with it? So we charge employers uh, a modest one-time implementation fee to, to sign up for our services. We found that our implementation our implementation costs don't really vary a whole lot based on employer size. So we charge a flat $7,500 uh, fee for, for implementation. You know, up to this point, all of our clients have saved enough to cover that cost, you know, within kind of the first procedure or two, uh, at least when we're talking major procedures. Uh, and, and everybody's kind of recouped that in, in under a quarter. And so as, as far as the, the cost for your service, is it a per employee per month or how are you collecting payment for what you guys do? Yeah, we charge per case fees uh, for our services. So we require 
transparent fixed cash prices from providers. And we think it would be kind of hypocritical for us to, to do anything else. And, and so, yeah, we charge fees by case type. You know, not every case is the same. So on the low end, for relatively simple procedures, we charge uh, $250. And, and for more complicated things like uh, full joint replacements or open heart surgery, our, our highest fee is $1,750. Uh, and we only collect that fee when we gener- successfully, uh, you know, complete a case that generates savings for the for the claim. Got it. So, so it's essentially bundled into that cash price in the comparison against the you know traditional TPA network allowed amount. Exactly. So when we're presenting a case to a, a health plan for approval, and that's our standard approach, you know, we don't we don't do anything without first saying. You know, here's what it looked like for you folks historically when you're doing a knee replacement. Here's our bundled cash price. Uh, our fees are, are are included in that, so that it's a true apples to apples comparison. You know, that brings up a question that I I probably meant to ask, but I forgot to ask, which is if you're going out and negotiating, you know, the cash price discounts with the providers, where are you getting your information to benchmark what it would have been under the carrier network that the employer had? Obviously, we're highly dependent on access to historic data to be able to do that. So in some cases, um, we have clients that have been able to provide us, you know, detailed cost data for, for, for common procedures, mm-hmm. and we'll compare, you know, to those averages. In other cases, you know, most plans at a minimum, with the help of their TPA, can figure out what their average network price point is as a percentage of Medicare. And so, you know, it's very common for PPO networks to be somewhere between 200 and 300% of Medicare. So what we will do is take that information and establish a conservative kind of measuring point or reference price. So, you know, if typically a network's paying at 200% of Medicare, we'll say, let's let's create our, our starting point at 175% of Medicare so that it's conservative, it's, it's kind of erring uh, on the side of, of the health plan and then use that as, as a starting point for comparison. And I would imagine the more that you are working in a specific geographic area, the, the better you're able to start building you know, a, a relative database of, of price points for different procedures under different networks. Although you know, that's what's so crazy about the way networks operate is the variability across networks can be extreme. You know, uh, you can have, you know, obviously, Two facilities very close to each other, uh, you know, same kind of quality, um, and the network will play the two facilities dramatically differently. Or you can also have two networks, same facility, and because of various negotiations, end up with dramatically different price points. And so it is important to understand each plan's specific cost structure. Because again, unfortunately, there's with the way networks function, there's been so much emphasis on discounts that it's it's very hard to tease out in some cases you know, where is their value in a network? Well, <laughs> it's, it's sometimes impossible, <laughs> at, least from exactly. consumer, at least from a consumer standpoint. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So thinking about, you know, the different types of employers out there, you've got some that are, you know, self-insured, some that are, are fully insured, you know, various sizes. Who is this a good fit for and who is it not a good fit for? Yeah, so definitely targeted at the party that's at risk. It's a great fit, fit for self-insured, Employers, uh, fully insured employers, you know, they're not the at-risk party, and it's really 
you know, their carrier would have to adopt this strategy. And we do have a fully insured carrier that is, uh, you know, that, that utilizes our services. But um, principally, we're focused on self-insured groups. Our sweet spot tends to be between 500 and 5,000 lives. You know, if there's some geographic concentration in those lives, meaning they're not, you know, distributed all across the country, that's that's better because it just increases our ability to to stimulate interest with with providers. Great fit for self-insured employers with some geographic concentration. Not as good for for fully insured groups, just because you know we we can't we can't offer our services directly to them. They would need to you know get them through their carrier. Of course, of course. So, um, being that you guys are a fairly new company, how many employers have you implemented your service with so far? So we we launched with our first customer in 2015. We fully implemented our service uh, with 10 customers. Um, you know, again, most of which are self-insured employers. One of which is a fully insured carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just last week, we received word uh, from a the board of a school district in South Texas with over 7,500 plan members that they will be implementing our services uh, in the next. Fantastic. So it sounds like you guys are starting to get a little momentum. Absolutely. Yes. We're very excited about it. You know, as you go through the process of, you know, educating brokers, consultants, employers on, you know, your, your product, what are some of the obstacles that you've encountered to an employer saying a yes to implementing your service? So the most common concerns that we've, you know, that we've heard from employers has been, you know, will we be able to find enough local cash provider options for their plan members? And can we work with their PPA or carrier? Um, really, the the second issue has been kind of the the more the, the more sticky one. In that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're willing to work with any PPA or carrier, but most major carriers are not going to be willing to work with us because they feel that we undermine the value of their network, um, which we do, and we're not apologetic about that, right? I mean, <laughs> we we expose that their network really isn't providing value. And that jeopardizes their whole business model, so they're not terribly enthusiastic about it. I mean, that's, you know, if you want to stick with your, you know, your blues plan, for example, unless you're a really big employer, because a really big employer will potentially have the leverage to make that happen. But unless you're really big, you know, those guys are probably not be a, a willing partner. I think that's a that's a great point. So the 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 blues of the world, the Aetnas, the United, the Cygnas, they're probably gonna not look favorably upon this service because just like you said, it undermines what in today and yesterday's market is their primary value, that network. You know, your yeah. service, your yeah. service is actually circumventing the network. But I think I think I think that's a great lesson for for everyone that's listening. You know, we've all bought into this notion that that you know the network is the best deal. And I think it's time that that we all start questioning it. Is it really? Agreed. And you know, what I would say is we have seen, you know, folks implement our strategy with, with PPOs, obviously, the PPO network's their main cost containment strategy. You know, while we can't do that with a major carrier, uh, we have seen, you know, people utilize, high, you know, some of those carrier networks, but with a third-party administrator, because we're seeing those uh, carriers allow direct contracting on top of, of their PPO. And so we basically say, look it. You know, you can lease the, the, you know, call it the blue PPO or the Aetna PPO, the Sigma PPO, whatever it is, implement it inside of, a, you know, a true third-party administrator that's not affiliated with that, with that carrier. And then we, we implement a direct contracting strategy that involves cash. 
And so that can be done. It, it, it's just, you're not going to be able to do it with that Azure Planks processor. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and honestly, if you looked at our, at our book of self-insured employers, I mean, it's probably a, a 50-50 split where, you know, 50% are working with TPAs and they go out and lease a network where, and 50% are actually, you know, working with, you know, one of the larger carriers on an ASO basis, taking their administration services as well as the network. Gosh, we've talked about a lot. Anything that you're really excited about right now in the business or are there any improvements or enhancements that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, and I've alluded to some of it a bit earlier, but one thing that we're developing specifically to address this concern about you know, how do we work with plans that you know utilize a major carrier network and that you know maybe are not interested in in switching to a to a different third-party administrator. This will be a limited geography initially, you know, because you've got to pilot it before you 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 run it more broadly. But we're working to create a risk-protected bundle. So not only will we be paying a fixed cash price for a procedure, we have a, a partner that is adding a complications insurance policy in connection with uh, the fixed cash price so that it's a true risk-protected bundle. The reason why we think that this is, you know, the reason why we're excited about it, we think it's you know, particularly applicable you know, to any, any large self-funded employer that doesn't want to switch their carrier is they could offer this a benefit outside of their health plan and um, not worry about you know, needing to coordinate with their carrier um, because they don't have to worry about reinsurance implications. It is truly risk-protected. The price does not vary at all for the procedure based on the outcome because the complications insurance uh, kicks in and covers any incremental costs that may be required. And so we're really excited about this product offering. Very cool. So when, when you say incremental cost, are you, are you talking about you know, the potential for, for readmissions? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, any, any complication that could happen during surgery that would potentially increase the cost or the possibility of a readmission would all be covered by this complications uh, policy. Wow, that's great! I love that. And, you know, the, the other, the other—if I could just mention one other thing that yeah. that we're working on, um, we're also working uh, to to implement uh, our our services for unplanned hospital admissions, and and we view all of these as critical steps to ultimately getting to a day where you truly have a you know a hundred percent cash health plan where you're basically paying cash for every single service. Hospital CFOs in multiple settings have have indicated, you know, we really need, you know, one of our primary concerns is, is just getting paid and paid rapidly. And so we see an opportunity to step in, you know, and kind of in partnership with uh, a utilization review vendor that would get notified whenever a hospital admission occurs, where we could then just approach the hospital and say, we are willing to pay you this cash price immediately uh, if you'll agree that that's payment in full and, you know, that you won't balance the, the member uh, and and you'll take that as as full payment for the service, and, and so we we will be piloting a program like that in the next couple of months, and and see a lot of potential to expand the scope of services for which we can pay cash. I think that would be great. I mean, because there's certainly the the planned procedure element, you know, accounts for for a certain percentage of services, but there's plenty of hospitalizations that happen to that, and if if I can think of, you think of the chronically ill. And a member who's you know diabetic, and uh, you know the, the blood sugar got out of control, right? They they end up in yep. the hospital. So is that the type of situation where you know you guys get notified and you you come in and, and you're able to negotiate the cash price? 
Yes, that, that, that's precisely it. Now, you, you're, you're going to need to couple that with the right plan structure. You know, we, we see an opportunity to do that in more and more scenarios going forward. All right, Corb. Hey, this has been awesome. You know, we've gone through a lot of questions. You know, if there was one question that I should have asked you that I didn't, what would it be? No, I mean, I really do feel like we, we covered all the important points. I mean, the thing that, you know, I would just, I guess, like to reiterate is the importance of aligned incentives between members and the plan. And, and shared savings really allows health plans to do that across the entire spectrum of spend. And, and so, you know, I, I think it's really a vital element of an approach like this for prospective, you know, interested parties to remember and evaluate. I think aligned incentives are key. And, you know, you are one of a number of companies out there that are focusing on various solutions within the, the healthcare spectrum on aligned incentives. And I think it's it's what healthcare has probably needed for a long time. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a, as a broker and a consultant, I'm to, to see so much activity around that one thing in the marketplace. Agreed. I think it's, there's a lot of exciting developments there. How can people interested in your product and service uh, get in touch with you? Well, you know, people interested in getting in touch with us uh, certainly can reach us, you know, through you uh, as a broker and consultant or, you know, their respective broker consultants. You know, if they would like to request additional information, they could also just send an email to info at assertahealth.com and mention this podcast and, you know, we can re- respond that way as well. But, you know, the, the preferred path is generally through their, their, their consultant or broker. Well, Corb, on behalf of our listeners and myself, uh, I want to thank you for, for taking time out of your Monday. It is a holiday today. <laughs> so, so I appreciate you uh, getting on the phone with us. This has been great. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure and really enjoyed the discussion. Appreciate the opportunity. You bet. And to our listeners, really hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please do subscribe to the podcast and share with any of your friends and colleagues who you think would enjoy the show and the content and the discussions that we're having here. And with that, we will sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please do subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and get links to Asserta Health's website and contact information. Lastly, if you're interested in learning how to reconstruct your own healthcare plan, you can book a time to connect with me at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.